Now, Backyard Millionaire. How to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Here's your host, Chris Story. Today on Millionaire, a story about a realtor that hit a dead body? Plus, if you've got good credit, did you know you might be soon subsidizing folks with poor credit? And what to expect when you are accepting an offer in Colorado? They're about to make life a whole lot more difficult for tenants and they may not even know it. I'm anxious to talk to Rhonda Johnson with Cornerstone Home Lending today. My phone's been blowing up. People asking about this new Fannie Freddie rule that's going to take those of you with good credit and penalize you for those of you with poor credit. And I don't know anybody with bad credit that even wants that. I don't know where this is coming from, and I want to get to the bottom of it, because a lot of times things like this come to the surface. Well, and the fact is that we might either misunderstand or it might be potentially even just misinterpreted, and then the wind gets behind it. So I said, let's bring in an expert, and that expert is Rhonda Johnson with Cornerstone Home Lending. So be sure to stay tuned for that. She's going to give us the skinny on what's really going on. Have you ever wondered how to find the right realtor for you? Like, there's so many realtors. I mean, there's 1.6 million of us. Did you know that? There's a lot of us out there. So how do you find the right realtor for you? Well, it starts like this. Three words. And these are the three words that I've been saying, talking about, and promoting for 21 years as a realtor. You only want to work with me or any realtor if you know like and trust us so if you know like and trust me i'm your realtor if you don't know me but you can like me once you get to know me and trust me then i'm your realtor but you got to have a combination of those things it doesn't have to start with who you know you can ask around and, and what happens is if you're in a, i don't care what size community you're in if you start asking around hey who do you know who do you like who do you trust where do i go you're going to see a couple of names bubble up to the surface. You make phone calls, you talk to the realtor, and you say um, to yourself, can I see myself with this person in my corner? Can I see myself in the trenches with this person? When, when it starts hitting the fan, can I see myself with this person? That's where the trust and the like comes in. Because you may not know anybody right now. Yesterday, I spoke to a gentleman. He's thinking about buying some property. And he said something about, well, I know six realtors. That's, that's a great, okay. I mean, it depends upon, you know, what it is you're looking for in life. That can either be a problem or a good thing. But, it, it, you know, it just, for him, it's going to come down to who does he want to trust this particular matter with? And so, you know, like, and you trust. And the like is huge because you must like the person, again, that you're going to be in the trenches with. You don't necessarily need to like your attorney, but you better trust them. And I do go so far as to say you should like them as well. Jordan Peterson has a rule, don't let your kids do anything that will make you not like them. It's one of his 12 rules. And I think it applies to professional services. I do suggest, even with attorneys, that you should like 
the people that you surround yourself with and who represent you, either it in court or represent you in the marketplace of real estate or the marketplace of ideas. Because if you don't like the person that you're hiring or partnering and teaming with, there's a really good chance the relationship's going to sour anyway. So that's it. That, that's the, the, how do you find the one you love in the real estate world is you find the realtor that is right for you by, if you don't know him, get to know him, better like him, and you've got to trust him. So what does a realtor do? It breaks down into three things. We are marketers, and that's the most obvious. So when you're picking a realtor, sometimes it comes to mind and bubbles to mind first is like, okay, whose marketing have I seen? And that becomes a bit of an awareness, but that's just one piece of it. Because when the market's hot, uh, you know, marketing, that's like super obvious. And social media has changed marketing. Uh, the aggregators like Zillow and Trulia and Realtor.com and HouseLogic have all aggregated the, the, the data to one place. The, the information's out there. And buyers, trust me, buyers come ready with the knowledge. They know a lot about the property before they ever pick up the phone or send an email. Because the data is out there. So the marketing matters, and it's about a third of what we say is you know, incumbent upon your realtor to take care of is the marketing if you're selling. Now, if you're buying, investing, then you can still hear this, and it still applies and makes sense to you. But it's only, again, it's a small piece of the puzzle. The bigger piece, and maybe fundamentally the pivotal and most important piece, is the ability to be an expert negotiator on your behalf. So let's just say that you're ready to invest in a, uh, another single family home. You've got one now. You want to invest in a second towards your fourth home, becoming a backyard millionaire or a multifamily, whatever it is. You want somebody that you know, like, and trust and who has expert capabilities in negotiating. And negotiating starts with the price, one, but also negotiating with uh, would-be offers, and we're going to get into a little bit later what to expect when accepting an offer, and there's a lot to know there. But negotiations are also about people, and that's why I would put it pivotably, pivotably as important, just as pivotally important as is liking the person you're working with, because if you're likable, chances go up 68% more success in negotiating if you're a likable person. I just made that statistic up. But don't you believe it? Isn't it true in your mind's eye when you think of somebody that's more likable, they're more negotiable. They're more able to resolve deals and, and get for you what it is you want, which is a win-win resolution. And then the third piece of the puzzle that realtors provide is professional transactional management. And that, trust me, is, is probably more powerful and more important than it's ever been before. Because deals are not getting less complicated, getting more complicated. Financing, terms, uh, scams, everything that's going on in our world today is affecting real estate. It's like we are the lifeblood of the economy. And I say that with all humility aside, because we really are. We're at least, I would say maybe we're the valve in the heart, <laughs> the lifeblood of the economy, which is real estate. We're the ones that are bringing it to fruition and we're the ones that are keeping the blood pumping throughout the economy we have to know a good 26 to 28 pieces of the transaction at any given moment are in play and in balance and are on track 
And so those are all the, the reasons that I say you better know, like, and trust your realtor because not only if, if you're selling, they're gonna, we're gonna be marketing for you, that's important, expert negotiation even more important and then there's the professional transactional management it's all and trust me i've been doing this 21 years i'm as excited about it today as i was day one that's the other piece of the puzzle if you find somebody who's likable and they're going to be excited about the business because if they're not likable what it means is that you can recognize they're burnt out it's sort of like they say the the, the guy who died at 65 but they didn't bury him till 85 you know, somebody in their career that's a little bit too long in the twos and they just, you know, they just haven't figured out that they should have moved on already. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. What to expect when you're accepting. This is Offers 101. I love getting offers for people pretty quickly in the process, but if it doesn't happen quick, um, it doesn't mean it ain't gonna happen. And you can write that down. Doesn't mean ain't gonna happen. It's gonna happen at some point, so you better prepare yourself for what to expect when accepting an offer. And the inverse of this is gonna be true for you if you're buying, investing, buying in, in real estate, or actually any commodity. But let's keep it focused to real estate. So what to expect when you're accepting? First of all, accept this. Not all offers are created equal, even if at the same or higher price. Let's say two offers come in, one is, is a bit higher than the other. Oh, does that mean it's better? Nope, it doesn't. So you have to look well beyond just the face value. This is where you cannot judge a book by its cover. You cannot judge an offer by its number. You've got to get into the weeds, which means you better understand the terms and the conditions that are buried within the offer. Your offer could be anywhere from 18 to 25 pages. I just reviewed an offer for somebody on a commercial deal. I was just acting as a consultant and uh, it was a 34 page lawyerly written offer. And uh, it was like somebody got out Black's Law and a Thethorath at the same time and just said, we're gonna make this as complicated as possible. And of course there's different reasons for that. But terms and conditions make or break the offer. So the price matters, but it ain't all that matters. Terms and conditions can make or break, kill or absolutely make a killing. So you've got to know those. So as you're accepting an offer, what you should accept or expect, I should say, is to get into the weeds and understand that that, that first initial number that we share with you is just the tip of the iceberg. In fact, I like when I'm presenting an offer, I love to actually kind of hold off on the number first. I don't like to get there first because um, it's it's sometimes all we can think about. Maybe it's a little bit low, maybe it's spot on, maybe it's over asking, and then we're kind of not really processing the rest of it. So I like to start with the rest of the deal, like for example, the terms and conditions, and then say, okay, now let's talk about price because it matters, but it shouldn't be the guide. The other things are gonna guide us towards either a counter and get to the right price, or it's gonna guide us towards uh, a rejection outright or an acceptance if the terms and conditions warrant. And then another piece that you should expect when accepting an offer is uh, financing versus cash. How big a difference is that? Does it matter? Does financing versus cash make a difference to you as a seller? Now, you as an investor and a buyer, of course it does. You know, it's, it's of course a different rate of return, all kinds of different questions. But when expecting uh, to accept an offer, cash 
is definitely going to have a bit of an advantage unless you go back to terms and conditions and they aren't as good. So you got to, again, know the terms and conditions, even above and beyond, is it cash versus financing? But one of the things people will say sometimes, and, and maybe this is you, oh, but it's cash. I'm offering you 20% less, but cash. And the, the seller's like, uh, excuse me, I was only taking cash. You can finance if you want to, but that's not going to impact my bottom line all that much. Here's what it does do. Cash gives you a sense of certainty because you see the evidence of the cash in the bank account. So you can say, oh, good. I don't have to hope that an underwriter wakes up on the right side of the bed and approves this loan at the end of a 30 or 45 or 60 day process, one. Two, I don't have to worry about the appraisal process or even you know, the whole, um, like I say, underwriting, that's its own thing. But then there's also the underwriting of the person's finances, not just the property and the condition, but then their finances. What if something goes haywire there? I once had a deal fall apart the mortgage provider had said right up front, we have recognized this buyer's school loan indebtedness and it's fine. And then in the end, about 45 days later said, oh, actually we've recalculated that and it actually puts them over the edge. And uh, oh, by the way, the earnest money was protected because that's right, financing contingency. Hey, listen, we'll finish this in just a moment. I'm Chris Story. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire. When we return, what to expect when accepting. And Rhonda Johnson joins us with a mortgage moment. Are you subsidizing people with lower credit? We'll find out. Stick around. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire. How to create wealth where you are with what you've got. I'm Chris Story along with Mr. David Webb. In just a moment, Rhonda Johnson with Cornerstone Home Lending will join. She's going to educate me and you about this whole new Freddie Fannie situation where you're hearing about people with better credit subsidizing those with poor credit. We'll get to the bottom of that and what are today's interest rates looking like. Um, but right now, I want to ask you something. If you've not started your library yet, or you have and you want to add a terrific addition to your library, I'd love to give you my book, The Backyard Millionaire, on two conditions. Number and, and by the way, even if you know of a graduating senior that you'd like to give a bit of a leg up in uh, financial literacy uh, through a story, through a parable type story, I'd love to give them a copy of this book. So here's the two conditions. One, you exchange for the book your email address. That means you're going to be on our newsletter, which is great, by the way. That's actually a double gift. And then second, a rating and review on Amazon. That's it. Just give me your email address and a rating and a promise to rate and review on Amazon. And honestly, I don't need a five star unless you feel it's worth it uh, on Amazon. That would be awesome. And here, that's the deal. If you want the book, then just text me book at 907-299-7653 and we'll make the trade. Sound good? Welcome to the broadcast, please. Rhonda Johnson with Cornerstone Home Lending. Rhonda, how are you? Hey, doing excellent, Chris. How are you? My phone's been blowing up, Rana, and maybe yours as well. People from all walks of life, not uh, just any one side of the spectrum, all walks of life are saying, Chris, are you reading this? Are you hearing about this? People with poor credit are going to be subsidized by people with good credit. This isn't fair. So, Rhonda, what's going on? Yeah, so Monday is May 1st, and that's the day that this uh, program is implemented. It's actually something that's been going on since last February. And it was put on hold for implementation until May 1st, and Monday is May 1st. So here we are. So what the scoop is, is that on the conventional loans, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, then pricing is determined. We've talked about this before. Depending on your credit score, you fall into this bucket. 
and you're going to get this rate and charged these fees based on whatever bucket that you fall into. And a lot of that is based on your down payment and your credit score. So if you're in the lower credit score range, the 620s to 640s, then you're going to pay a different price in both cost and rates as if you were 840 or 820. And what they're trying to do, and there's multiple buckets in between. So what they're trying to do is close that gap a little bit between the lower credit score borrowers and the higher credit score borrowers. There will still be a gap. You will still get a benefit with a higher credit score and a higher down payment. But they're trying to open up the doors to homeownerships uh, for some of the lower bar- uh, credit score borrowers and lower down payment borrowers. So, yes, the only way that they can do that is to take away a little of the benefit that the higher score borrowers had and um, reduce the costs that the lower score borrowers were going to pay. So you will still get a benefit, just not as much of a benefit. Um, the thing to remember, though, Chris, I think is that, you know, it's nice that we're trying to knock down some of the barriers to homeownership for some of our lower score borrowers, because it's not always their fault, right? It's not that they mismanaged money or that they aren't good, stable borrowers. It's just that if you don't know how to play that credit scoring game, then you may not have the higher score because you're not either willing or you don't know how to play that credit scoring rules, what the rules are to that game. Um, And the other thing I think that's important to remember is that this is only today affecting Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. We still do a lot of loans through FHA, VA, USDA, HUD-184. So there's a lot of other products out there that this is not affecting. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire. I'm Chris Story in conversation with Rhonda Johnson, Cornerstone Home Lending. I should have told you up front, you can reach Rhonda, no matter your credit score, at rondajohnson.net, <laughs> or you can call or text 907-252-5682. And Rhonda, this is an important conversation to have. Let's break it down. We talk about Fannie and Freddie, but there's there's a lot of different programs out there. Specifically, though, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are GSEs, government sponsored enterprises. So this is in effect a quasi-governmental ruling, correct? I mean, this isn't just private companies that said, you know, I think we're going to do this. This is coming from and through the government in the form of these changes coming May 1? Correct. You are absolutely correct. And this is not applicable to another government uh, agency, which is FHA. So this isn't applying there? Correct. Not to FHA or VA or USDA or HUD-184. Mm-hmm. So um, those loans are being insured or guaranteed by the government, whereas Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are insured through private mortgage insurance uh, entities. And so that's kind of the difference with these government programs. Mm-hmm. Yes, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are under government receivership, so government pretty much owns them, but they weren't originally government-sponsored loans. What are you, because I'm assuming I wasn't the only person that reached out to you. In your network, are you hearing from borrowers and or other people? What are they saying to you? Oh, yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of outrage, a lot of of opinions, a lot of comments on that. And I can't say that I disagree with them. All I can say is it's here. It is what it is. So best thing to do is to, uh, you know, just be aware, know what's happening, know what's coming look for any other options that might be a little bit better than the Fannie Mae Freddie Mac if you fall into one of those categories 
that you might not get quite as much of a benefit from. Um, it may open up the doors to those that didn't think they had a, an option before. So there's some opportunities for doors opening. But the bottom line is it is what it is. We don't always like the rules as they change. Um, and, and, it, and it has changed and it will be starting on Monday. So, you know, I don't know what to and, what and else just, to say other than let's here we break, are. Well, let's break it down and put it into some perspective. What when you say okay, it's it's you lose some of the benefit for having say the eight fifty or eight forty credit score on a monthly basis, or just the upfront point, or or how will this track through the loan? So it kind of you know I I sent you a copy of a big huge chart that kind of tells you where the different uh, changes are happening and what the good ones are and what the not so good ones are. So for example, if you have like a, let's say a 740 credit score and you're putting 20% down, then you might um, you might get a uh, three eighths of a percent savings on your points versus um, half a percent. So it might change what you would pay by perhaps an eighth of a percent. On $100,000, that would equal 125 bucks. So it's not as good as it was before. It's not anything horrible, uh, but that little bit of savings is now making it less expensive for a lower score borrower to get in. One of the things that I love is to take a situation like this and put some context around it, which you've just done, thank you. And secondly, prescribe something that can be done about it. And I think what you and I do here, Rhonda, and what you and I have done for the last 16 years together on the radio is help people understand the credit game, understand how to master credit, how to master leverage, safe, effective, good quality leverage in the form of mortgages to impact their own wealth, their own well-being. Future generations are going to benefit from decisions you make today. And what you're doing relative to your own credit and your own money management is going to impact those around you. And this is an obvious outcome of that. Again, we don't have to agree to it, and I'm not going to ask you to engage on some sort of a, an opinion because I brought you in as an expert to just give us the facts. But let's talk to that person that's got that lower credit score. Um, you say, well, maybe it's not their fault because they don't understand the game. What's the first thing you'd suggest to the person with, say, a 580 or a 600 credit score? What's the first thing they need to know to play the game better? Mm -hmm. For uh, two things right off the bat. One, just do make sure that you pay your bills on time. That is the biggest factor in your credit score. But the next biggest factor that you have control over that you can affect is what you owe compared to your credit card limits. Is limits. So if you have a limit of $1,000, you want to keep your balance between $100 and $300 on it. Keep your balance between 10 and 30% of your limit and you will see a dramatic increase in your credit score. Um, where I see the biggest challenges and where we can help people improve their scores is by paying balances that are near their limits down, and we see immediate, immediate improvement on the credit scores. And sometimes I have folks that pay their credit cards off every single month, but they don't know the right time to pay it off so that your payment posts before the credit uh, before the creditor reports to the credit bureau. So you're going to want to make that payment um, on the statement closing date, three or four days before the statement closing date versus that due date that's like 20 days out there. 
excellent. Easy, easy tips. One, two, three. It's not difficult. You just have to know how to play the game. It's a little bit like pickleball, which is sweeping the nation. I don't understand it, but it's sweeping the nation. <laughs> and I've tried to play, and the rules are so convoluted and complicated. And the people that are good at it and already play it, they love sort of almost overexerting themselves to show you how bad you are. Instead of just saying, let's stop and master one thing at a time. Everybody I've ever been around is just wants to, boom, oh, see, you you are terrible at this game. <laughs> well, that's not the great case with credit. You can easily adopt just a couple of little things at a time. The rules are simple, but you have to play the game. And one of the first steps, Rhonda, and I, you've talked about this for years, is if you're not playing the game, there's no way you can win. So having a safe, secure credit card, or what do you call those prepaid credit cards where you... Right, so there's secured credit yeah. cards um, right. where you just put some money in the bank and the bank issues you a credit card for that same limit. Whatever that limit is, never, 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 never charge more than 10 to 30% in charges on it. And I didn't say zero to 30%, Chris. So you need to use it and have some activity on it just keep it below 30% of your limit. All right. And, and you know, the thing that I recommend, look, we just went through a whole um, little segment on how to pick your realtor. It's the same with your mortgage broker. Somebody you know, like, and trust. I say jump into the game with a quick phone call. But, Ron, I have to tell you, people, okay, people that are not playing the game are afraid of you. Not you, but you. I'm, you, I'm saying it's a little bit embarrassing. It's a little bit scary to make contact with somebody and have them do an x-ray and say, oh, yeah. here's where you're deficient. It's what well, you need to know, though. And I say, yeah. say to people all the time, uh, go to RhondaJohnson.net, start the conversation, and at least, and, and if, and, you know, Rhonda, the great thing about your network is you have people all over the country. So if you're moving and you're going to, well, but we're, oh, great, Rhonda can help you find somebody with Cornerstone Home Lending wherever you're going. And the, so far, everybody in my experience with your company is like you in that they want to start, even if it's with zero, and build a plan forward so that we don't need to rely upon the, the benefit of somebody else's better credit than you, you can get your own good credit score. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I do that so much. And I probably say two things that I hear most is now I understand. I never heard it talked about that way. And two is, well, that wasn't so scary. That wasn't so bad. Mm -hmm. So, so really we're here to help. That's our only goal is to help you achieve your dream of whether it's uh, buying your first home or investment properties or your second homes or whatever you're looking to do. So our goal is here to help you get what you want. Rhonda Johnson, the dream weaver at Cornerstone Home Lending, <laughs> rondajohnson.net. Rhonda, thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. Have a great day. I will say this, every single call I got, it was outrage. It was, people are mad. Um, yeah, I, I think that, that Fannie and Freddie Mac are going to have uh, some, you know, well, what are they? They're governmental agencies. They're, they're, they don't, I mean, I don't want to say they don't care, but it, I don't know that going to them as an individual is going to make any difference. I think what, if you're one of the many people that I'm hearing from that are outraged, you feel like this is an atrocity upon the economy, which is already reeling from what we've gone through from 2020 forward, the inflation and everything else that's going on. And then as so as not to repeat, not to repeat what happened in 08, 09, uh, all of those kinds of mistakes 
contact your congressman, congresswoman, or your senator, and and just let them know exactly how you feel about this. That's that's the best advice I could offer you. We're going to finish up our what to expect when you're accepting. Also, what you see is what they get. And the realtor who hit a dead body when we return to the Backyard Millionaire. Thank you. Direct from Homer, Alaska. Don't panic. Just come up with a good story. Here's the host of Backyard Millionaire, Chris Story. I don't know where to start. I've got so much news here. Well, I'm going to start with this, a supreme taking. I don't know if you're following this story or not, but I, I really think you need to be. And I want all of us to be a bit invested in this 94-year-old woman's plight. Now, her plight is being argued before the Supreme Court. I'm talking about a case out of Minnesota. And here's how it goes. 94-year-old woman had just moved into a, a assisted living, or a, I guess it was a, a senior housing, we'll say. And she didn't pay her taxes for a couple of years on her condominium she'd moved out of. So she'd moved into the senior center, moved out of her condominium, was sitting there vacant. She hadn't paid her taxes. She was delinquent. She owed 2300 bucks approximately in back taxes. Now take a couple of years compounding interest, fees, fines, penalties. Just, uh, just over 12000 is what this little old woman ended up owing county in her area there in Minnesota foreclosed on her. All right, that's the way it goes. You don't pay your taxes, you, you get foreclosed on. That's what happened. She got her property foreclosed on. The county took the property, put it up for sale, sold the property, sold the condominium, netted a profit of $25,000. Now, not total. I mean, in other words, there was more than that. That's not the gross, that's a net. They paid themselves back the $2,300 in taxes, the balance in fines, penalties, interest, and attorney's fees, and court costs, and uh, any sales expenses that they'd incurred. And there was still $25,000 profit above and beyond. The county kept the money. That's theirs. They, they see it as their money now. They became the owners of the home in their mind. This is their money. It's not her money. She, for, she, she got foreclosed on. It's gone. It's the, it's the county's money. It's the government's money now. Well, she took them to court. And I'm assuming that some good, well-intentioned group has taken up the cause because she doesn't clearly have the money to take this to the Supreme Court. The legal fees alone are going to run hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know that or more. And you should know an important piece of this story. Do you know what she wants to do with some of the money? with some of her money. Do you know what she wants to do? 94-year-old woman living in the senior center wants to buy a new mattress. Let that, let that sink in for a moment. She's wanting a new mattress. Can't afford a new mattress. Wants to buy a new mattress. The decision's going to come in late June. It was argued recently. Um, yeah, this last week it was argued before the Supreme Court. 
And again, a decision is going to be handed down by the Supreme Court in June as to whether or not her Fifth Amendment rights have been violated. But here's my point of bringing this up. And this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to know. You do not have to wait for the end of June. You do not have to wait for the Supreme Court to take action. I'm asking you to do what I did and contact your local tax assessor. Find out how it works where you are. And once you've found out, now don't don't bite the head off of the assessor unless you're in an area where you actually elect your assessors. And I think that would love to see that go nationwide, but it's not everywhere. But if it's where you are, if where you are, you elect your assessor, then do talk to them. If the if the way it works in your community, in your county, your borough, if the money, the balance goes towards the government and becomes government largesse, then yeah, feel free to take your tax assessor to town if you elect them. If not elected, they're just doing their jobs and you need to go to the elected officials. So what I'm going to do is find out. I'm waiting for a call back and I'm going to find out. And if our tax assessor confirms for me, because I don't know, I should know, don't know what happens to the balance after a tax sale. If it goes to the people that owned the property prior to the foreclosure, wonderful, happy day. Don't have to wait for the Supreme Court decision. If it goes to the government, Anything above and beyond the cost of the actual sale, repossession and the sale, and their, the taxes and arrears. If the proceeds just go to the government after the cost to cure has been taken care of, then um, I'm going to immediately, absolutely and immediately and effective immediately, I have you have my word on this, go, go immediately to my borough mayor and every single borough assembly person and uh, local mayor and local city council people and every single one of them is going to hear from me until this changes and it will become a cause that i live with t-shirts will be made swag will be created and this will become a movement so I'll, I'll find out and i'll share with you what's going on in my area but you need to know and that's something you can do see the fifth amendment is not unclear it could not be clear no taking without just compensation period that's it. Nothing. There's nothing after that. All right. What to expect when you're accepting. Let's get back into it and finish this segment up because it's important. You need to understand because, I, look, I do this every day, every single day, helping people negotiate, helping people accept offers, counter offers. Um, you know, there, there's just no doubt in my mind what to expect when accepting. But if you haven't sold a home in a while, if you haven't sold a property in a while, you might be a little bit, um, a little bit uh, rusty on the topic. So let's get back into it. So what to expect when you're expect accepting uh, offers 101. All right. So we've already talked about that not all offers are created equal. You know, whatever the price is doesn't necessarily mean it's the better of the two offers if it's higher, for, for example. Terms and conditions are huge. Uh, a lot's going to be weighted on the terms and conditions, uh, and it will deal with the price afterwards. Financing versus cash. Remember, the, the, the person who you wish to purchase the property from, if you're a buyer, they want cash. Your cash eh, adds a little certainty, takes a few roadblocks out of the way, but, but truly is not worth a discount. I mean, think about it. If it's just not. What do you save when you when you do a cash deal versus a finance deal? What are the savings? Um, cost of an appraisal? That's about it. On the seller side, now you, the buyer, save a whole lot in fees and everything, 
but I'm sorry, there's just not a big difference. So you need to expect when you're accepting an offer, cash ain't always king as uh, the saying goes. Due diligence. All right, so what to expect out of an offer with regards to due diligence? You want to make sure that you understand this comes back to the terms and conditions. Not all due diligence is created equal. You have your standard residential inspection periods, and that's very common. But on top of that, every offer is going to come with it the condition and a bit of due diligence, which is clear title. You have to provide as a seller marketable, insurable, clear title, transference of a warranty deed, which means you warrant your right to sell this property. You'll warrant and defend it. You'll provide a title insurance policy. That's all covered under due diligence in addition to inspections, engineering also check all the boxes in your offer that you're looking at because there may be additional pieces of due diligence that live on through to closing. And of course, like title insurance, clear title, you have to make sure, of course, that the property you're about to buy or invest in doesn't have some mechanics lien thrown on it at the 11th hour. So that's going to follow you all the way to closing, of course. But what about review and approval of some engineering? What about if there's a septic system, what about the review and approval of that testing? Better make sure you understand all of those cleared, uh, clearly nuanced pieces of due diligence as you look at accepting this offer. Now, earnest money, it matters, but not that much. I'm going to tell you something. It's just between you and me. I just helped bring to fruition a $2 million deal with the smallest amount of earnest money you could possibly imagine. What would you expect on a $2 million deal for earnest money? Now, I'm not suggesting that a small amount of earnest money with a big deal is something you ought to pursue, but I am suggesting and telling you the amount and size of the earnest money eh, kind of doesn't matter all that much because of what we just talked about. All of the due diligence, all of the steps and the hurdles in between is all sort of geared towards the buyer. The buyer's got, it's almost like, I describe it sometimes as a wiffle ball. Like there's so many ways out for the buyer and, and that's just the way it goes. Um, you as a seller can expect to collect that earnest money only in the event of a default. But there's so many other ways out and trips and triggers that can cause uh, the termination of the deal that, that you don't get the earnest money from. So you could say, let's say, for example, you're selling your home for 500000 and somebody puts up a $1,000 earnest money. Well, that's really light. That's really low. But what if they're paying all cash and they've already, already evidenced to you they've got the cash to close? Do you care that much? Well, maybe. Talk about it with your realtor because not everything depends upon the size of that earnest money. Um, I've done some really big deals where there's been small, uh, small amount of earnest money. Not to say the disparity between the $2 million deal I just described and the $10,000 earnest money. That was incredibly small. Uh, but there was a lot of other extenuating circumstances that made it okay. And we went all the way through to closing. Successful. It worked. But just understand that that earnest money doesn't become yours just because the deal falls through. So yeah, it matters, but not as much as you think. Now, closing costs paid by the seller. It doesn't matter if you get the negotiation you want. So in other words, if let's just say you're offering your property for 400000 you get an offer of $415,000, $15,000 are put towards buyer's closing costs, you're getting your asking price. Bottom line, that's it. You've got to look at the bottom line. Don't worry so much that 
Well, I didn't do that. When I bought, I paid my own closing costs. Don't worry about it. They're financing it in. That's what they're asking you to do. But also, this comes back to the point about not all prices are created equal. You look at that 415 and go, Yahoo, Oop, hold on, because you're you're paying 15K towards their closing costs. That's really a $400,000 offer. Maybe the 405 and everything split traditionally is better. So you have to look very closely at that. And, and lastly, multiple offers. Um, that could be great when you're selling. It's kind of fun. It's exciting. Here's my advice and my admonition is that you listen to everything we just talked about. Don't get too excited about the price up front. Look at all the terms, the details, the conditions, financing versus cash, due diligence built in, earnest money, closing costs, allocation, all of that. And then as you respond to multiple offers, whatever else you do, please. I'm pausing for effect. Please. Please do not overplay your hand. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. When we return, have you heard about building to rent? Plus, and I promise we'll get to it this time, the realtor who buried a dead body. Stick around, we'll be right back. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Free books, I'm offering you a free book for your starter, for your library, or just a great addition to your existing library. And I just ask two things from you. I'll send you a copy of my book, absolutely free, The Backyard Millionaire, absolutely free, paperback copy coming your way in exchange for your email address added to our newsletter. It's a good newsletter, come on. And a rating and review on Amazon, because it makes a difference with their algorithms. And um, I can't say that I understand it, but it makes a difference, helps other people find the book. And I'm committed to helping 2,000 people in the next year and a half become backyard millionaires. Okay, if that's a deal for you and you'd like a copy of the book, send the word book at 907-299-7653. 907-299-7653. I'm going to get you a copy in the mail today. In fact, it'd be great for graduating seniors. Uh, it's a book that, that somebody told me they wish they'd read it when they were 20. And it's like, well, I, and this person's like 60-something. I'm like, well, I just wrote it in 2020, so I uh, couldn't have done that. But uh, it's available for you. Just send me the word book right now. This realtor said, I'll hide the body. This out of a National Association of Realtors magazine, just for realtors, by the way. So you get an inside look. This is information that I'm not supposed to share with you, but I am. Here's how it goes. Uh, just wondering, it's a short article. I'll just read it to you exactly. The listing agent said the owner was out of town, so I expected an undisturbed home when I arrived ahead of a showing. I knew the contractors had been at the house, but little things were out of place, raising my suspicion. Chess pieces were knocked to the floor. Broken knickknacks littered the kitchen counter and sink, and several blinds and curtains were askew. I feared something bad had happened in this house. Then I saw it. I saw the body on its back, feet up. The dead squirrel on the designer couch pillow. The contractors must have accidentally let it in. I sent a photo of the carcass to the listing agent who, was, <laughs> who asked if I were to get rid of it. I replied back in a text somewhat jokingly, Now to be clear, you are asking me to dispose of a dead body? She responded, could you? I did so discreetly. It still makes me laugh. In real estate, you see, the unexpected happens all the time, and the best agents help each other out. That's Marianne Cruz of 
California. Where is it? California MD. O'Brien Realty, California MD. Is that Maryland? Is there a California city named California in Maryland? Or is it? Anyway, isn't that a great story? We realtors are faced with this kind of thing all the time. You just don't even know it. But trust me, we are heroes in our own right. <laughs> they just call himself a hero. But that's the reason I made the Making a Man series, the Jacob Man series, which, by the way, the second in that book comes out July 1. Working on that, it's a novel, full-length novel. The first book, the prequel, was called The Making of Man, and it's a short story available online wherever books are sold, and I love homeralaska.com also. Uh, but yeah, that's the reason I put Jacob Mann as a hero, is because he's a realtor, and he's, well, frankly, he's a pretty amazing guy. What you see is what they get. I'm afraid it doesn't look good. What do you mean? Take a look for yourself. I can't see anything. Use your open eye, Frank. Oh, yeah, I can see it now. <laughs> I can see clearly now the rain is gone. <laughs> Use your open eye, Frank. Ah, oh, Leslie Nielsen, The Naked Gun. That's one of the greatest lines. But seriously, in life, you have to use your open eye and your open mind. And real estate's no exception. When you own rental property, you need to drive by. You need to see it the way your potential tenant sees it. If you own any kind of property and you want to sell it, you better see it in the eyes of a buyer. So what you see is what they're getting. Make sure you pay attention to the details because details matter and make the difference. They make all the difference. Don't even, I don't even suggest you let a week go by without checking on your property from the outside. I'm not saying pester your tenants every week. Don't do that. But drive by. Make a route of your properties. This is another great reason I suggest you invest in your own backyard. It's easy to do that. But if you own where you don't live, at least hire somebody else's eyes. Get somebody else on the property or at least buy the property. If you're out of state, you own property in another state or somewhere that is too far to drive in a day, then you've got to have at least once a week, drive by once a month, um, a little closer checkup and at least once a quarter walk through. Maybe that's too often. Uh, just depends upon the tenant and your relationship with them. But you don't want to let too much time go by. It will cost you money and eventually drive off good or better tenants. If it's a multifamily, you're just going to drive the good ones away with ignoring some bad apples. It's just the reality of it. Have you ever heard of build to rent? This is a new approach towards rental property. And I think all I can say is that the shortage, the national shortage of rental property is making the difference. And what people are doing is building single family homes in clusters to rent, not sell, but to rent. Kind of don't want to share this because it's going to seem egotistical, but I'm going to share it anyway. Uh, for the last 30 years, Stephanie and I have had in our mind just this thing so it's nothing new to us we haven't done it yet per se but you know a lot of people have but it's becoming very very vogue it's becoming very hip right now but tiffany and i 30 years ago see tiffany has family in carmel california and we got i don't know at least 30 years ago we got this book one trip and tiffany was down there visiting family she picked up a book called cottages of carmel and it's a coffee table style book that's got these beautiful pictures of these stunning little homes. They're all tiny, very small, six, seven, eight hundred, maybe a thousand square foot, some of them. But they're works of art. They're absolutely amazing architecturally, structurally, stone, 
uh, timber. It, they're beautiful. And we've had this dream ever since of creating a little property called Carmel Heights. And they would be six or so, maybe, maybe eight at the most, very unique, beautiful cottages for rent. Not for sale, but for rent. We need about an acre or so to affect this. And I guarantee you, people would never leave. They would be like the squirrel feet up and we'd be hauling them out. They would never, ever leave. So you might want to think about this. What people love about single-family rentals is they have all four walls to themselves. They have a little bit of an outdoor space. Our idea, too, was to create a bit of a common space for like a gazebo, uh, barbecues, where people could come together in a bit of a community and have that together. Um, but here's the other thing they like is that there's no maintenance. They get to have somebody else do the maintenance. That's you, the landlord. So it's a bit of a deconstructed apartment building, if you will. So uh, I would just say, uh, once again, can I just note we were ahead of the trend? And if you're considering going this route, the build to rent route, make sure that you buy the right land at the right price because that's going to be critical. Don't just get the cheapest land you can afford and put these kind of cottages on it because that maybe isn't going to garner you the higher rent. So you need to get the right land at the right price, uh, place at the right time and price, but double check the zoning. See, there's going to be parking requirements potentially, so you need to know what you're getting into, and you do not want any surprises to take you down later. Now, financing. I called a couple different mortgage brokers, including Rhonda Johnson with Cornerstone Home Lending, detached multifamilies, fine, up to four, up to four. Remember that. You go over four, you've now entered commercial zone. And I called a couple different appraisers, and both said they can, as appraisers, compare your, say, call it a, a two, three, or four unit complex detached, they can use like kind attached. So they would prefer, I mean, look, everybody prefers the perfect comp, but they can use these detached as attached in their comparisons. So there's nothing really stopping you but your imagination. So I would check that out if I'm you. Another book, I'm going to explore this more next week. It's called Real Estate 101 by Gary Eldred. Highly recommend you getting it. If you can find a used copy, I'm not sure it's still in print. It's called Real Estate 101, Gary Eldred from the Trump University era. That was about 2005 or six, I believe. Um, but Gary Eldred actually wrote this book under the guise of Trump University back in the day. It is such an incredible mix of real estate advice and, and mindset. It truly is one of the good ones. It should be in your library. We're gonna explore it, you and I, together next week. Boy, quickly, I wanted to get to this, but um, boy, we're just we're just running out of time. Let me just give you the headline. Airbnb hosts have generated $2 billion in tax revenues in 2022. Airbnb hosts generated $2 billion in tax revenue in 2022. And my question for you was going to be, does this change the way you feel about vacation rentals in your own backyard? And you might say no. You might say absolutely no. One thing I do advise, if you're thinking about running an Airbnb, I don't anymore. Tiffany and I had two. We've sold them. Um, but be, be kind to your neighbors. Make sure you, we put in a huge effort to be a good neighbor, to improve the quality of life for the neighborhood by improving the property, uh, enforcing very strict rules on noise and disruption. Um, I would just say if you're going to be an investor in, multi, in the backyard uh, Airbnb style, be an empathetic investor. Well, it's been a privilege and a pleasure to be here with you. For all of us here at The Backyard Millionaire, I'm Chris Story, reminding you to look forward, learn from your past, and never forget that the good life is lived right here in the present.